Biff Bampop presents Heroes and Villains. And now your host, E.A. Henson. Welcome back to another episode of Heroes and Villains. I had the chance to sit down with Chris Wisnia to talk about his career in comics and his new release, Doris Danger, Giant Monsters of Muck, which is out now from Fanagraphics. Here's my conversation with Chris Wisnia. Hey, Chris, how you doing? I'm doing great. Fantastic. So uh, super excited to have you here on the podcast. And uh, I've got just a, I would like to think just a wealth of questions to ask you. <laughs> great. Um, I'm happy to uh, spend the time with you here. Thank you for having me, Eric. Fantastic. Um, now, let's, let's just go all the way back to the beginning. So what, uh, what's your earliest mem- memory of comic books? earliest earliest i i was maybe five or six and um i was at a supermarket with my mom and there were these little pocketbooks of reprints of uh the the classic you know hulk spider-man fantastic four and there were, there were two or three volumes of spider-man and you know probably two volumes of fantastic four and and it, it was just this this magical imagery of of these you know strange colorful and distinct characters and um at at this young age uh they they were starting to replay on television the old 60s spider-man cartoon so i i, I kind of knew that character and uh so it was just this magic of seeing these books and you know they were super tiny and uh it, it was it was the original stanley ditko run and uh, I, I had this opportunity to choose which book I wanted. And, and I took that choice very seriously. And, you know, I, I was looking on the backs because the backs showed the covers of the, the issues that were being uh, produced in there. And I, I was looking at what characters were involved. And, and so it, it, was, uh, it was this exciting sort of uh, decision-making, you know, what's best for me and, uh, and and uh, having this entrance in, into this magical world, and and the the one I picked, I, I later realized was the first appearance of the Green Goblin with uh, the Hulk in it, and um, I just remember having this little book on my couch with a magnifying glass because they were reprinted so small, and and so there is this sort of magic of of you know being in this this miniature world that that only I could see and be a part of, and uh, so it was pretty magical, yeah. Now, um, I think I think you know because we're similar age. I think I had a similar experience getting uh, reprint comics from the corner drugstore. Mm-hmm. And uh, would you characterize yourself? Did you lean more Marvel early on, or were you just kind of a 60-40, When when I started collecting comics, I was about ten, mm-hmm. and um, I, I was grabbing whatever I could off off the rack at the supermarket, and. Um, I, I tended toward Marvel, but I really enjoyed Batman. Also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think you know, it's uh, we're legally obliged to enjoy Batman. <laughs> so that you started off with Marvel, and uh, where did you go from there? Like, uh, just you started collecting comics around ten. When did you kind of figure out there was like a larger world or a larger ecosystem of uh, comic books to enjoy? 
I grew up in a small town where I didn't really have any access to other stuff. Okay. Where uh, was that? Where was, uh, where'd you grow up? I, I grew up in South Lake Tahoe. Okay. Uh, so it, it's a tourist town. Uh, not, not a lot of culture. Uh, we, when, when I was in high school, a small store, a small comic shop was, was opened. Um, and, and this was in the eighties. So, you know, there, there's this sort of lore of, of books like Cerebus and American flag and, and first comics generally. And, uh, you know, it, it just wasn't easy to hunt that stuff down. So, um, I, 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 started experiencing it more probably post college. Uh, it, it's funny because high school, you know, these things were starting to pop up uh, in college. Colleges weren't uh, respecting the medium or acknowledging it in any way. So so I, I didn't get any learning from it there. And since I was in college, I kind of got out of comics because you, you need some money to uh, <laughs> continue <laughs> collecting comics. And uh, when I was in college was right during the image boom. So I literally missed the image boom. It, it, it happened right when I kind of got out of comics. And then uh, when I graduated from college, I got back into comics again. And and so I, I feel like I, in some ways, that was maybe a, a good way to go because uh, a, a lot of the cool indie comics and stuff, it, it's kind of for a college audience, you know? Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, so I, I was late in the game, but uh, I I have an enjoyment of kitsch, and so I, I kind of don't mind that that I was a mainstream comic guy. But the mainstream comics I I gravitated toward were the old ones, mm -hmm. um, and you know, having just come out of college, and and the image boom having just kind of started to implode, all all the local shops when I was in. Uh, in my college town, but out of college, they, they were starting to uh, go out of business, have uh, quarter bin sales. And, and so I was picking up a lot of old, you know, 70s comics, basically. Okay. Uh, what did you go to school for? I studied art. Okay. I studied studio art. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed drawing and I enjoyed music and, uh, Coming from UC Davis, you either go down the hill into Nevada mm -hmm. <laughs> or you go down the hill uh, to Sacramento and Davis is right near Sacramento. So I, I, I went that side of the hill and it turned out Davis had a really good art program. So I thought, all right, I'll, I'll do art. But but it was like it was it was the highfalutin, you know, art that, that I was studying. And, and so I, I have kind of a unique uh, background compared to a lot of comics people. I, I'm thinking about big ideas in art. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, so you, you go to college and you're out of college after having studied art. Um, when did you break into the industry roughly? Because I was looking back on your website at your CV and um, I, I'm good with books, but I'm bad with names, which is a terrible thing to do when you're in my line of work. Uh, but I did recognize some having read some of your books uh, from early on. It was, was it uh, Oja, Ojo? Um, yeah, Sam, Sam Keith's book, Ojo, he pronounced it Ojo. Okay. Uh, in, in Spanish, Ojo is Ojo, which means I, mm -hmm. and, and the monster has a giant eye, but 
Sam pronounced it Ojo. So as far as I'm concerned, all right, I guess Ojo it is. <laughs> yeah, I remember picking that up and really enjoying it. So was that uh, was that your first mainstream work or, you know, first published? Where where did it go after college? Yeah, that, that's a, a fun question. Um, I graduated from college in 95 mm -hmm. and I started thinking I'd like to do comics shortly after that. And I, I was going to a lot of conventions, trying to meet editors and have portfolio reviews and talk with artists, uh, try and show them my work, things like that. And so it took me a few years to, to kind of get going and uh, to produce something to publish. And um, in 2004, I published my first comic, uh, Tabloid Weekly Magazine, which featured uh, Doris Danger as a backup story. And um, while I was getting ready to publish and while I started publishing, going to all these conventions, I met a lot of artists and Sam was someone I met mm -hmm. and he was very supportive of my work and um, said that uh, he, he would like to do something with me. And so, you know, I, I, I barely even published anything and I, I'm feeling great about this. And, uh, at, at the time, the, the story Ojo, it, it was going to be a five-issue story, and it was going to be Sam's project and the artist Alex Pardee doing the art. And um, so Sam was envisioning a series of mini-series that created this, this uh, Sam Keith world, with, with Ojo being the first story arc. And so he told me, I want you, Chris, to do the second or third story I, I have in mind, I, I want to work with you on that. And so I thought, wow, this is great. And then Alex was approached by the band The Used uh, to do album cover art, t-shirts, set designs. And uh, he, he had to come to Sam and say, I'm sorry, Sam, but I, I can't pass this opportunity up. And if I take this opportunity, I can't finish this project with you. And so then Sam came to me and said, I need a favor. Uh, we've got the, these deadlines. I need to get this book done. Alex started the first one and a half issues out of five. I need an artist that can help me pump this out so that we make the deadlines. And so that was goal number one for me with Ojo was I, I'm this artist coming in in the middle of a project and it has to be finished by these dates. Uh, goal number two was Alex kind of determined this, this is the look of this book. And then Sam would go in and kind of sprinkle on the top uh, his, his Sam Keithness <laughs> in, in the art look. And, and so this, this art style was already kind of a, an interesting conglomeration of two artists. And I'm coming in. So I, my, my thinking is how can I help this not look like a, a crazy mess? Uh, so I, I, I want to make this look like a cohesive piece. And so I, I studied that, that issue and a half that had already been created and just did everything I could with, with my abilities to try and make it cohesive. And so it, it, it's kind of a, a tricky project for me because it, it's not my project and it's really not my project because this art you know style was established and i i it, it's one of my earliest projects coming into the industry so i want to do a good job there's this time pressure 
Um, and so I, I have kind of mixed feelings about it. And I, I'm very proud that we put something out that uh, people like you to me still periodically come up and say, hey, I really enjoyed that. And, um, and I think we pulled off make, making it look like a legit, you know, project and, and the editors even said they didn't know if the pages were coming in from me or from Sam. And so that was like, that was the ultimate compliment to me. Yeah, I'd say so, because uh, reading it at the time uh, and reading other books I've encountered where they have midstream creative changes and the change in artwork can be somewhat jarring. But with from what I recall from this, it seemed to be a fairly smooth transition. You mentioned like how difficult was it for you to kind of it was like a baton race, I suppose, <laughs> like adapting your style to uh, match the other style was that. Were you just pulling your hair out or was it just uh were you stressed uh, you know just losing sleep over the whole thing or did you just kind of knuckle down and get to work sam was so sweet and so great that 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 was never i i don't remember feeling particularly stressed i i just remember buckling down and and knowing this is what i'm doing you know um sam sam was real kind and complimentary uh the publisher only press was real kind and complimentary um, I, I looked at the art and as, as basically any artist does, it, it's never what you hope. It's never good enough, but you know, I, I, I studied art in school. So I, I know how that is. I I'm a musician. So I know how that is. I, I know that, uh, how an artist perceives their own work is never really as bad. And, and also, you know, then you just do the next one. And I, I've always had the sort of Ed Wood attitude of, oh, it was, it was the worst thing you've ever seen. Well, the next one will be even better. <laughs> <laughs> so where'd you go? Where did you go career-wise after that book? So I, I was putting that book out while self-publishing my Tabloia Weekly Magazine comics. And, um, and I was self-publishing those. And so those, those were kind of coming out at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, um, these were both really kind of my first projects, you know, I, I'd maybe put out two comics and then Ojo was starting to come out. So, you know, they, they're really right, right with each other. And, um, you know, you, you, you go in, you say, Hey, I've got an idea and I could draw it. And, uh, then Marvel will come calling and I'll, I'll be a star. And, uh, none of that happened. And, um, and I started realizing that, the, the stories I want to tell uh, aren't mainstream stories and uh, and I'm not even really that interested in telling mainstream stories now that I think about it. So why why was I even thinking that would be the course? Um, and so I, I, I self published maybe a dozen or so things and continued going to publishers and trying to uh, get them to take over the publishing chores. I, I was losing money every book I put out. Um, and so finally uh slg publishing agreed that they wanted to uh start publishing my my doris danger stories which were kind of the most popular uh part of uh my my pseudo tabloid anthologies doris danger was a backup feature in in my tabloid weekly magazine comic book and uh she's she's basically been continuing since and so with slg i i published three uh volumes 
with them. Two, uh, one, one volume collected all of uh, my self-published stuff. And then one volume was all new material for SLG publishing. And then we took all the splash pages of those and made a full color alphabet book. <laughs> <laughs> so those were my three books with SLG publishing. Now you said those were the most popular part. Did you kind of, when you were doing it, did you kind of get a sense that was there a, a big response to the Doris Danger stuff? There, there is never a big response to anything I've done. Um, <laughs> was there a notable, a notable response <laughs> or a noticeable? I, I felt like people that read my stuff said, oh yeah, we really like that Doris Danger. And, and um, I, I've told this story a few times, it feels like, but when, when I pitch stuff to SLG, I, I, I would pitch other projects and, and they said, you know, why don't we do your Doris Danger? I said, oh, okay. And, and, and then the same thing happened. I, I, was publish, I, I was pitching stuff to Gary Groth at Fanographics for years. And uh, what, what does he say? Well, I like, I like this project, but why don't we do a Doris Danger book? All right, Doris Danger it is. <laughs> Now, obviously, since it's your own creation, that was something that uh, I'm, I'm sure there wasn't much resistance on your part to doing more more Doris Danger, right? You know, I th this is a, a funny question. You've you've touched on something that that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and that is my my first comic came out 20 years ago, and when I was putting stuff out then, it was, it was like you know the the sky is wide open and oh you want to do doris danger let's do that and i'll, I'll do this uh next or i'll do this later um i turned 50 last year i, I turned 51 uh this month and all of a sudden now i'm going you know it it was 13 years of working on my last two projects and so if i do the math you know i'm, I'm going to be practically retiring age <laughs> If if I can get two more projects in at that speed, right? And, uh, time is suddenly feeling a bit more of the essence. Where uh, maybe I have to be more choosy about what what I decide to do. Um, but yes, uh, Dor Doris has been enjoyable. Uh, you know, I, I very much enjoy creating these stories, um, and I feel like I've got so many other stories I'm, I'm excited to tell. So uh, it it's starting to become a bit of a thing of anxiety <laughs> right so to that end is that kind of fueling uh the desire to create or kind of experiment with others other non-doris type stuff um i when i finished this book uh for fanographics it, it's been done for a couple of years mm -hmm. um and i i've been sitting around wondering what to do next and and when, when i fin when when you've spent this much time on a big project it's like, what now? And uh, you, you got to make some choices. You, you got to commit to something. And uh, so there, there was a, a bit of a period of, oh, what do I want to do? And I, I, I tried a little of this and I was thinking, oh, it's not feeling right. And I, I, I actually spent, you know, 150 pages working on this and it, it was, it was really challenging. And, um, Yes, it, I, I think it's it's easy to fall into what what you know, <laughs> uh, but but then as an artist, it, it's maybe not pushing you in ways. So so there's this sort of excitement for something new, but also a fear of something new and a frustration of something new. Okay. And, uh, so so that said, I, I I worked through it, and I 
I'm very excitedly, frantically working on something right now. Oh, excellent. So how has the response been to, well, we should say the name of the book. It's Doris Danger, Giant Monsters Amok, which is a fantastic title. And thank you. when that came across my digital inbox, I looked at it because I always go into these things cold. I don't generally read the attached press release. I'll read the book and then kind of backtrack. Mm. And I was just like, I, I read it and I'm pretty, you know, admittedly picky with the stuff that I review. So I will generally only go to stuff that really grabs me or stuff that I can endorse. Um, so I can take this as a compliment. For sure, with <laughs> without a doubt, because I, I definitely feel you with time being finite. And if I'm going to invest my time into reading a book and then writing about the book, I want to make pretty damn sure it's going to be something that I enjoy. Hmm. And reading the book, I honestly, I didn't know what to make of it initially because I was like, they don't make books like this anymore. And I was wondering if it was like almost like a comic book version of a mystery science theater 3000 thing, because the, <laughs> the artwork is so spot on. Like it's Thank just, you. it's uh, I was, I was at a loss for words, which was bad for me. Cause I actually had to figure out how to put something into words. Um, but it was just, it was amazing just in terms of the, the feel, like even the page layout and the letters columns and everything that were included in the book. It was just, it was like I had, you mentioned earlier, like the quarter bins, like I had just, you know, stuck my hand into the quarter bin and pulled out a book from the 50s or 60s I had not heard about before. And here was this entire, almost like an alternate universe history kind of comic book, like one of those forgotten greats, you know? So that was... Uh, Very kind of you to say. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean it, it's one of those, it was, it's an amazing book and that was kind of the driving force why I, I'm like, I have to talk to this guy. I have to find out more about everything about this book, the creative process. Cause I was reading all the associated materials that you've been working on it forever. And it was just, uh, I'm super duper interested in the entire thing. And also it should, it should be remarked upon the praise that the book received all the various comic creatives that contributed quotes for this book. It's just it, fantastic stuff. Thank you. Thank so you. Um, not sure where I was going with that. But yeah, so where what was the what's the origin of Doris Danger, I should say, that's what I was getting towards. So going back to the quarter bins, mm -hmm. uh, some some of the books that that I was just super gravitated to were the 70s reprints of the late 50s, early 60s, Jack Kirby Stanley, uh, giant monster horror comics. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I'm fascinated on so many levels about this because, you know, if, if you know your comics history, superheroes were hot in, in the, you know, late 30s, early 40s, but then we went to war and then all of a sudden people couldn't relate to superheroes so much because they had real world supervillains. And uh, so, yeah, they saw they, they saw the bomb. It, you know, there was the yeah. atomic age kind of you know the stuff that spurned God's, Godzilla. Yeah, and so in 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 the comics industry, then superheroes kind of petered out, and there were romance comics, war comics, horror comics, um, and for some reason there was this bizarre, giant, weird-looking monsters wearing underpants 
horror comics, uh, <laughs> which I, I'm certain must have come from these uh, sci-fi movies you're talking about, you know, of giant praying mantises and giant spiders and stuff. And um, I, I just got such a hoot of them, this, this idea that they're, they're horror comics, but, but look at them, you know, they're, they're so kooky. And, and then um, on top of that, I, I am experiencing these as reprints of the originals where, you know, in, in the bottom corner, it says originally published in Tales to Astonish or, or whatever. And, and so that, that gets my imagination going uh, and, and it gets me interested in, in this history, uh, you know, when and how and why were these created? And um, they were always signed Kirby and Ayers, right? And uh, so I'm going to comic conventions and here's Dick Ayers at, at a comic convention. And I, I've started making my own comics. And um, I, I loved Mike Allred's Madman at this time. Yep. And he, like Stan Lee, I felt just made comics feel so fun. You know, you, you've got these sort of editorials talking about the bullpen and how we're all just pals. And this is sort of like a secret society club where we, we can all, you know, you, you picture just going down to the Marvel offices and building a pillow fort and spending the night talking about comics with these guys, right? Yep. And Mike Allred, I thought, was sort of a, a, a logical continuation of that fun in comics. And he would uh, get his favorite artists to do pinups of Madman. And I thought, this is so great. I want a comic to be fun like that. And um, so when I was going to conventions, I, I was excited about meeting artists and seeing if, if any of them might be willing to join me in this fun and, and make pinups uh, for my books. And I hadn't created Doris Danger yet. And Dick Ayers was one of the few artists whose contact info I came home from a convention with. And that sparked in my head wouldn't it be the most amazing thing since I love these old giant monster comics if I just wrote a little five page giant monster comic because that's how long those stories were and if he inked it and we could sign the page Wisnia and Ayers. Amazing. And so I emailed him and he said yeah sounds fun let's do it. And that's fantastic. So I, I very quickly brainstormed a story idea. And uh, I, I was excited about the X-Files back then. Of course, who wasn't? And I, I am not, I, I, I'm a card-carrying skeptic. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I support the Skeptic Society and the Richard Dawkins uh, Reason and Science Academy, or I can't remember the name of, uh, Center for Inquiry. Uh, and, and I've always enjoyed looking at weird beliefs from that, uh, point of view. Um, and so I thought, well, if it's going to be a giant monster story, it, it's gotta be my giant monster story that that's a little critical and parodying of, of that type of subject matter. And, um, with, with the X-Files in my head, I thought, okay, she was abducted by a giant monster as a child. And so now she wants to believe, right? So it, it, you can see it's just straight out of the X-Files. And uh, so, so that was the idea. And then the other 
part of that is there's got to be all these crazy conspiratorial uh, factions throughout the story that are just frothing up from all the different angles and she's just kind of stuck in the middle of it. Um, so th that, that was my idea and I, I, I quickly put together a five page story and I penciled it up and sent it to Dick Ayers and he sent it back inked looking like a, an old giant monster story and he signed it Wisnian Ayers like I asked him to. That is amazing. And I think one of the things that, you know, beyond giant monsters and underpants that I connected with <laughs> for the book was, uh, you know, the, the giant monster comic books, I think they're fairly easy to goof on and, you know, it's easy and cheap to do jokes like that. But when I, the thing that I picked up on that I connected with most in the book is that there actually was a real love for the subject material. It wasn't one of those kind of cheap jokes that are a dime a dozen out there, which, you know, it was also kind of, you know, uh, gave me uh, pause to, what am I trying to say? Uh, it kind of uh, made me think that um, I had it, but I lost it. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was just uh, the, the, the real love of the subject material is what I connected with, so. Yeah, I, I tell people, you know, everybody has this magic time. If, if they enjoy comics, mm -hmm. everyone can tell you this was what did, did it for me. You know, this, this is that magical thing where I went, oh, this, this is a whole universe and it sparked all this for me, all this love and excitement. And uh, getting back to what I said earlier about, you know, that that excitement that Stan Lee or Mike Allred conveyed, um, there, there's that magical moment. And I, I I picture this book as hopefully being somebody's magical moment of of that time that it was just so exciting and uh, it it just sparked all all this inside you. And if you go back and look at it again. It was awful. You know, this, this was something when you were little and, uh, you know, you, you, you revisit it. And, and so I, I hope for this book to be as magical and awful <laughs> as, as that most magical of things in, in your memory, you know? Yeah. And like I was saying, that's kind of what I connected with it. You know, it, it still was very much like something of the era, but it elevated the original like it, it's smart and clever, but it's also it's a giant monster in underpants story, which <laughs> doesn't need to be anything else. Yeah, uh, often we we equate how good something is by by its literary merit or its believability. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the point of this project is to revel in its unbelievability and its unliterary merit, you know, and 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 the bad dialogue and, and the bad story ideas and look how much fun you can have even if it's really bad <laughs> <laughs> so talking about that i was you know doing my research on this talk to me a little bit about diary diary of a struggling comics artist sure um way back even before i started self-publishing I was meeting a lot of artists, talking to a lot of people, 
Um, I, I started realizing when you go out to conventions, all these artists are from out of town at these conventions and they're looking for stuff to do at night. So they're hanging out at bars or whatever. And uh, you, there, there are just all these opportunities to spend time with, with all these people you admire. And, and they've got nothing else to do and, and are often happy to spend time visiting with you or sharing stories. And if, if you're an aspiring artist like me, uh, you know, you, you get you get to know some some of your idols and, and you get to hear a lot of great stories. And so I, I basically started taking a diary of uh, all these great stories that artists were telling me about their experiences. And I, I started realizing a lot of artists aren't making a lot of money, even if they're really big names in the industry, they're struggling. Uh, they, they had the same experience as me trying to get into the industry. And uh, a, a big part is we're all making decisions that are kind of leading our career to different places. So I, I realized not only am I not that interested in, for example, writing a Spider-Man story, but I, I don't even know that it would, it would be my thing. Um, and so that, that kind of changes my choices. Now, a Spider-Man artist might be able to make a decent living month to month, especially if they can get on a monthly book. Um, and that's someone else's choices. Maybe they've got these ideas that are important to them, but they, they know they're just going to lose money if they, if they try to self-publish something or they've, they've pitched it and they haven't gotten any takers. And so stories like this started to really fascinate me. And, and so Diary of a Struggling Comics Artist started as just kind of a blog or, or literally a diary of, of me and my experiences, getting tables at conventions, not selling anything, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. And, and then stories of other artists. And um, then I started thinking, these interviews should be filmed. A, a lot of my favorite artists, uh, they're getting older. And uh, I, I had a friend, Dan Hart from college, who I knew had a camera and he, he started going to conventions with me and we just started filming anybody that would talk with us, basically, with, with the theme being struggles. How, how did you get into the industry? What was your first portfolio review like? How long did your first job last? What was it like fumbling for work after that first job ended? Uh, when did you know it was time to quit the day job? Did you need to get another day job after you quit your day job? You know, just just the day-to-day -day struggles. And the struggles continue as you get higher and higher up in the industry, you know? Uh, how much were you willing to give up when Hollywood wanted to make a film uh, of, of your project? Uh, what did you do? You know, why did you make the decision to sell your creation to a mainstream comic and and release all uh, decisions on what happens with that character, you know, just all, all up and down the scale. And um, I, at the time, I felt like no one was talking about that publicly and they were fascinating stories to me. Um, I feel like since then, you know, there, there have been more outlets this, this was 2010, I started filming these interviews and it, it took me years to finally start putting them out. Um, so it, it's a little different now, but I, I've, I've kept with that theme with, with my Diary of a Struggling Comics Artist. So all, all those videos are up on my YouTube channel. 
Yeah, I think we at this point, like, you know, 2010, people were just kind of starting to get a little inkling of how the industry is not creator friendly. And everything that you talked about is something that is, I think people are more aware now than they ever have been. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely it's a good thing that you were able to get in on the ground floor of that and actually start talking about it publicly, because I know that, uh, you know, the motivating factor for people signing with a big publisher is like health insurance or having, a, you know, uh, like a steady gig to do covers for Marvel or something like that. So and those are both huge as, as an artist, if, if that's how you're making a living. Mm -hmm. Those are huge. Yeah. Yeah. So and we also have I also made note of uh, is it it's Weird Harold, the band? That's my band, yes. Yeah, you, you guys still active? In theory, we, as we much as you can performed. be. We haven't performed for probably ten years or more. We okay. About a year or so ago, we we thought let's let's get the band back together. Right. We haven't made it happen yet, but I I, I had a lot of old footage, so I, I started posting that recently online. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> so we've got Doris Danger, which is that, and that's out now. That just came out, right? It just came out Wednesday. Yeah. Okay, good. That's timely on my part because I knew when I wrote about it, I think it was about a month ago or so, I knew that it was coming out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm hoping that my local shop actually has a copy so I can go pick right. one up. Uh, Just like actually having like the physical copy like on my bookshelf, it's I'm, I'm still a big physical media person. I know a lot of people like to you know subscribe to digital comics, but that's... Well, Fanagraphics did an amazing job. The book looks great. So... Uh... Yeah, when when my colorist Ricky Spray got a copy, he he immediately called and said, "I can't believe how good they made this book look." So yeah, it, it's worth if if it's your thing, it, it's worth having a copy for sure. I would say it should be everybody's thing, but that's just me. I feel <laughs> I feel like I'm biased. Now, as a creator, are there still do you still participate in the industry? Or are there books that you're reading currently? You know, it's. It's awful, but um, I, I've got two kids and a day job, mm -hmm. and um, I I just do not have a lot of free time, even to watch movies or read read books or comic books or anything. I, I I'm just so limited in time that uh, I I haven't been able to keep real good touch with all now, that. Now, do you feel that benefits you as a creator? Like, there's uh, limits like cross pollination or contamination. I've never worried about feeling, I, I've never felt concerned that, oh no, what if I'm doing something too much like someone else? Mm -hmm. And it, it's funny because, you know, Doris Danger is a complete swipe, but I, I've, I've never <laughs> felt that way. Um, I, I feel like my, my ideas are off, off in their own place enough it, it, it just hasn't ever concerned me. Okay. I, I feel like my interests are so different than most anyone else that, that that's going to put me in a different place. But I, I do acknowledge that uh, you, you can get a lot of inspiration, you know, from, from seeing what's going on just in your culture generally and in, in your artistic community and stuff. So I, I am missing out on a bit of that. Okay. Now you mentioned uh, back when you're doing conventions a lot and I, I haven't been to a convention in, well, a few years now, just because of the way the world is. But uh, when you were doing conventions, were you limited pretty much just to the West Coast or, or did you go all over? I, it, 
in in my biggest burst, I, I was trying to do about a half dozen shows with at least a few of them in faraway places. So um, I'm I'm in California, and at the time I I did you know a couple in New York and Chicago and okay. Um, Were you yeah. uh, at, was it Wizard World? I, I I went to a few of the Wizard Worlds throughout the world, not the world, but yeah, throughout America. Yeah, I I I, I was trying to hit you know strategically what what i thought would help spread the word the big ones um, yeah and and uh you know this this is my first book in i think 10 years or something so i've sold way down um yeah but i i'm, I'm gonna be down at comic con san diego this year signing with fanographics and i'm oh, fantastic I'm planning to be at spx this year with fanographics so i i'm, I'm hoping to start popping my way out again Excellent. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Where can people find you online? Uh, all my social media is at Chris Wisnia Arts. So my, my website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Fantastic. Well, uh, so Doris Danger, Mon Giant Monsters of Monk, in stores now. Everybody should go check it out. Uh, Chris, I really appreciate the time. Thank you. It was fun talking to you.